Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canon with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we conclude our series, Empowered Living, Volume 3, with a message titled, The Weapons of Our Warfare. So let's turn in our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 to 24, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. There is a long history of human warfare. You know, human beings have always killed each other. Cain killed Abel, and it wasn't in a war, but it was murder. Genesis 4 tells us there's a man by the name of Lamech who said he would make Cain's killing seem like nothing. And Genesis 6 says that as the human race increased, so did its propensity to violence. The text says that the wickedness of men was great, and it also describes tribes or perhaps even nations of mighty men, men of renown. They were able to garner power and rule over others, lest the world you know, descend into constant murder. And yet, among those powerful rulers, there was a wickedness that was growing. And that, of course, led to the flood when the dividing up of the nations followed, and, of course, to the warfare that has often followed the disagreement between nations. So let's get back to that very first act of murder. In John 8, Jesus said of the devil that he was a murderer from the beginning. That is, Cain surely did envy his brother and hate his brother, but had never witnessed a murder before. Satan taught Cain that he could do the unthinkable. In our study of Ephesians 6, we've seen that every single believer is involved in great spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is far more deadly than human warfare, for it is the devil that inspires human warfare. Jesus called Satan the thief who came to kill, steal, and destroy. But in terms of Ephesians, we've seen that the devil also seeks to destroy the church and the gospel of Jesus, so we're in a warfare. Now, over the history of human warfare, the weapons of our warfare have changed. We've gone from sticks and stones to laser-guided missiles and nuclear weapons, but oh my, how gifted we have become in war. But we also know that sticks and stones are no match for modern warfare. When nations go to war, they not only develop and deploy a strategy, but they also bring the best weapons they have onto the field of battle. And the Roman army would have deployed their troops dressed in the best military equipment available to any army at that day. And when Paul describes the warfare of the believer, he does so recognizing that we need to be properly equipped to fight the battle before us. So let's read our text. I'm reading Ephesians 6, 13-20. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So Paul began this section by affirming that believers in Jesus are engaged in a great struggle. But, he says, our struggle is not with flesh and blood, that is, not ultimately with human beings. Our struggle is with Satan and the demonic, whose authority in spiritual places pours out into the affairs of people. 
He inspires not only hatred and war, but he also inspires warfare against the gospel and the church and the people of the Messiah. And it is this war that Paul addresses. I said yesterday that this battle is fought on at least three planes. First, in the persecution against the church. And we do well to remember that the Ephesian letter is a prison letter. Paul wrote this letter while in prison in Rome. He's being accused as a Christian of sedition against the empire. Second, the battle is fought in destructive heresies. 1 Timothy 4 verse 1, Paul spoke of deceiving spirits who try to get believers to believe doctrines of demons. Every Bible student soon realizes that we get into the later books of the Bible and there the theme of heresy comes up over and over again. Third, the battle is also fought as Satan and his demons try to seduce men and women of God, especially Christian leaders, to fall into sin and to bring disgrace upon the people of God. So let's be clear. Satan wants to make sure as few people hear the gospel as possible, and he also wants to destroy the witness of the church, and he wants to devour men and women, causing them to stumble and wander away from their faith. We're in a warfare that is every bit as serious as any battlefield ever has been. And here's the point. We aren't strong enough to sustain such a powerful demonic attack. We will all falter and fail. As Martin Luther wrote, yet still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. But then he added, did we in our own strength confide, our battle would be losing. See, Jesus, our strong defender, calls us to fight the battle in his strength and might. But as we've already seen from what we've read, we're to put on the armor that he has provided. And Paul's using an analogy, just like a Roman soldier who would go onto the field of battle wearing the armor for battle. So we too must know that there are certain tools for the battle we must not neglect lest we lose the fight. Now then, Paul mentions six pieces of armor that are necessary for the fight. Before I get to that, yesterday I made mention what I believe is foolishness. You know, in some circles, it has become a practice that in prayer, people begin to address the devil. Satan, I command you in the name of Jesus to take your hands off my son or my daughter. Satan, I rebuke you. I mean, that kind of thing. To this, I respond in two ways. First, read Jude 9. It tells us that even the archangel himself did not presume to rebuke Satan, but he rather said, the Lord rebuke you. You see, many of us don't understand the nature of our warfare, and we think that we can stand up to the evil one through our silly words of rebuke. Now, second, the prayer is about talking to God. It's not about talking to the devil. So let's talk about what's really effective in our struggle against Satan and his demonic army. Remember, I said there were six things. First, fasten on the belt of truth. That was a leather belt that belonged to the warrior's underwear and not actually his armor. It gathered his tunic together, and it stopped it from getting in the way in a fight. A tunic was a long draping robe, and it was so important to be unimpeded when the troops were on the march. See, the belt always made sure that you were ready for action. A proper belt gave a sense of confidence that nothing was going to stand in your way or fall in the way of you doing your duty. You know, for the Christian, our belt is truth. Many of the early Christians of the first several centuries of the church always commenting on this passage, argued that what Paul had in mind was the truth, that is, the revelation of the gospel of Jesus and the truth that's revealed in the scripture. In other words, 
Now, those early Christians argued that you needed to be word-saturated, believe the word with a sincere heart. That would keep you from being unencumbered when warfare was all around you. Wherever the devil attacked, if you're deeply immersed in the gospel of Jesus and in the word of God, you do well. Now, later Bible teachers, however, tended to emphasize being a truth speaker rather than being a liar. Now, look, I think it is important to always speak the truth, but I have no doubt that what Paul had in mind is knowing the gospel and knowing the Bible. See, we need to be reading our Bible. We need to be rehearsing the great doctrines of our faith, you know, such as the nature of God, the nature of Jesus. What is the saving gospel? Who is the Holy Spirit? What is sin? What is salvation? What is the church? What's promised to us at the end of the age and so forth? You need to know the truth. You'll never be effective in spiritual warfare until you become a person that's immersed in the truth of God that's revealed in the Bible. Second, Paul speaks about having the breastplate of righteousness. See, the breastplate covered the front and the back of the warrior, and it was meant to protect vital organs. That is, if a, you know, if a sword or a spear pierced your heart or your lungs or your liver, you're done. One small wound, it was over. And the breastplate made sure that didn't happen. And Paul says, for the Christian, this is righteousness. So what does he mean? We know in the writings of Paul that we're told that we are made righteous through the righteousness of Christ. That is, in the cross, Christ has clothed us with his righteousness. And so if we understand it this way, it means just be confident in the cross. But there's another meaning here. In Ephesians 4.24, Paul speaks of putting on the new self made to be like God in true righteousness. There, Paul uses the word righteousness not to speak of our salvation, but rather to speak about our holiness or our moral character. The same is found in Ephesians 5, 8, and 9, where we're told to reject moral darkness and walk in the light, the light which is right and true. In short, we know that the devil wants to destroy the reputation of believers. Like a Roman soldier on the battlefield who receives a wound in a vital organ, so also many a pastor or Sunday school teacher or youth worker or someone wanting to share the gospel is destroyed because of moral impurity. And what's the lesson? Simple. If you leave sin unchecked, Satan will use that to his advantage. Like that one famous apologist who after his death was found to have been sexually immoral. Satan finds a way to destroy his reputation, rendering what he has done ineffective in the fight. This month, don't forget to ask for the Time of Your Life five-message Bible teaching series as our free Bible resource on CD. As you listen along and examine what the Bible has to say about how we use the time you've been given, you'll be equipped and encouraged to make your days matter for eternity. When you request your copy of The Time of Your Life, would you pray for more and more people to access these life-transforming riches in the pages of the Bible? Every day this teaching, verse by verse, reaches out across Canada and around the world on radio and print and online so that all might receive and experience a life filled with purpose. Back to the Bible Canada is so grateful for your support. To order The Time of Your Life or make a gift to support this ministry, call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. How do we put on the breastplate of righteousness? Well, for one, you need to go back to the belt of truth. 
Understand that God wills that you be holy. Don't be deceived. Know what's sin and don't let the world define your morality. And then go to God and confess your sins. You know, you might want to find a mature and godly Christian to help you. And above all, ask the Holy Spirit to make you despise sin and to love holiness. Ask for his power. Tell God, I want to hate this sin as much as you do. And then cut yourself off from the opportunity to sin in that regard. Do whatever it takes to break free. And in so doing, protect your vital organs for the day of the fight. And the third piece of armor are the shoes for your feet, the readiness to spread the gospel of peace. You know, most Bible teachers think that Paul has in mind what's called the caliga, or a half boot. It was made of leather, had toes that were free, it had heavy studded soles. It was tied all the way up to the ankles and shins with straps. They were great for marching. Your foot wouldn't sweat and develop foot problems, but it also held you fast and your foot wouldn't slip in rocky terrain. It made you ready. It gave you a firm footing on which to stand. In our text, Paul compares these shoes to having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, the Greek grammar suggests he means the readiness to announce the gospel of peace. No matter which ground you stand on, be it rocky ground or flat ground or treacherous terrain, under each and every situation, we find ourselves ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. Now, before I make application, let's just pay attention to the matter of the gospel of peace. What does that mean? Does it mean we should be ready to tell people at war that they should live in peace? No, it doesn't. Remember, when we study a Bible text, it's important not to impose our meaning on the text but let the biblical author explain himself. And so let me suggest in this study, going back to Ephesians 2, 12 to 14. There Paul wrote, remember that at one time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is what? He is our peace. What kind of peace? peace with God. See, the gospel announces that through the blood of Christ, peace with God is to be found. And so that's the weapon for our warfare. And Paul thinks it's essential that all of us need to stand firm not only in proclaiming that gospel, but living in that gospel. See, one of the easiest ways for the evil one to shake us is to cause us to stumble in our faith and that we forget the true gospel. See, I love a chorus that is often sung in some churches. It's called Before the Throne of God Above. And one of the lines in that wonderful chorus says, When Satan calls me to despair and tells me of my guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the precious Savior lives, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Christ and pardon me. And that's it. So many believers are discouraged by their own sins as well as their lack of security in Christ. The gospel of peace is not just the gospel that we preach. It's also the gospel that steadies us and allows us to keep fighting the battle. The fourth piece of armor, it's the shield of faith, which we're told can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, this is at least for us today, perhaps, you know, the easiest piece of armor to understand. We can imagine a soldier on the battlefield, and on the other side, the archers are ready, and they've dipped their arrows in tar, and they've set them on fire. And then in that awful moment, hundreds and thousands of flaming darts come raining down out of the sky. There can only be one defense, 
a shield that is meant to hide the body of the soldiers. And what's fascinating here is that the Roman shields were covered with animal hide, and before a battle would begin, they would put the shields in water so that they were wet and would extinguish the darts. Faith is trust in the promises of God. See, whatever promises God has made to us, he backs it up by his own character. And furthermore, God has demonstrated that he keeps all his promises, and he's done so by raising Jesus from the dead. So each one of us must make sure that we not only understand the promises that are made to us, but that we're nurturing this living confidence in each one of the promises. Go back to Ephesians chapters 1 to 2. Blessed with every spiritual blessing, chosen from before the foundation of the world, adopted into God's family, cleansed from all our sins through the blood of Christ, made a part of a new humanity, saved by grace through faith. Now, all those promises would be meaningless to us unless they were combined with faith. The fifth piece of armor, helmet of salvation. The salvation that Paul has in mind here is the assurance of our future and final salvation. In the end, I'm saved from sin and wrath and condemnation. Death is not my end. Rather, I will share in the resurrection of Jesus. And then finally, the sixth piece of armor is the sword of the Spirit. And this alone is our offensive weapon. We assume, therefore, that this is the one that is used in winning the lost. Paul identifies it as the Word of God. So how does that work? Think about Matthew 10, 19 and 20. Jesus said, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. It is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. See, in every situation, Christians are to be about sharing the gospel of Jesus. But it's not the gospel we make up. Rather, it's the one that's found in Scripture. It's the one that's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Always be ready. Share the good news wherever you go. So these are the weapons of our warfare. This is the armor that God has provided for us to win the fight. No, God did not promise to keep us out of the fight. Rather, we must be in the fight. Furthermore, God didn't promise that that things wouldn't get tough. They are going to get tough, but we need armor. We need to put it on. You know, one commentator said, our enemies are on every side, and so must be our armor. But the promise is that when we put it on, we'll be able to stand. And then verses 18 to 20, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. See, I don't think Paul adds the need for prayer because he thinks that prayer is just another one of the weapons. I think he adds the need for prayer because he thinks that prayer pervades everything we do. Nothing demonstrates that we believe that we're dependent on God more than our prayer life. Always be at prayer, says Paul. And then he adds the word, also supplication. See, to supplicate is to make an appeal to ask God for things in the middle of the fight. Can you see the place of prayer? You know, John Piper once said that many of us have made a mistake about prayer. We assume that prayer is like, you know, a communication device in the home. We're in the living room and we speak to God in the other room. I'm cold, I'm hungry, I'm tired. Get something for me. But says Piper, that's the wrong thing. Prayer is a walkie-talkie on the battlefield. It's our lifeline to God as the fiery darts of persecution and false teaching and the temptation of self-pity 
and temptations rain down on us. And so Paul says, while you're praying for yourself on the battlefield and asking for resources in the middle of the fight, he adds, keep alert. Don't give up. Even when you feel like quitting, when you're tired in the fight, pray about that as well. And then Paul adds, pray also for me. I'm on the front line. I'm bringing the gospel to cities that have never heard it before. And furthermore, I'm now in chains. And there are around me forces that want to intimidate me and cause me to be fearful. Pray that I'd be bold and not timid. It's always that way. We pray for ourselves, but we also pray for key leaders who are bringing the gospel. And with that, Paul ends his letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians 6, 21 to 24. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that we may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. You know, Tychicus had served Paul for some time, and he most likely is the man that Paul gave the letter to. And it was Tychicus that would have delivered this letter to the Ephesians. I find that fascinating. Paul has been talking about living as children of light and being victorious in battle. And then the man who delivers the letter that tells them about it actually models the same thing in his own life. And with that, the man in prison who tells Christians that they've had every spiritual blessing in Christ and that they should live in that way offers us peace, love, faith, and grace. This letter is great encouragement for all who love Jesus with an incorruptible love. Thanks so much, John, a wonderful series. Let me ask you this, because I think it's important. Is it not true that we ought to arm ourselves, prepare ourselves, and fortify ourselves for victory, rather than being surprised at a moment of crisis and succumbing to the evil because we're ill-prepared? I think we need to expect spiritual warfare at all times. And I think we need to expect it when we sometimes go through some of our highest highs and our greatest victories. Uh, It's often the case after a victory that we suffer some kind of a defeat. So prepare yourself, put on the armor of God, and fight the good fight. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again next week right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. The days we have are precious, and how we use our days matter. Dr. John helps us to consider how we spend our time in ways that matter for eternity in his series, The Time of Your Life. Why is time so important? Well, it's a scarce commodity. It's uncertain how many days we have. Time can never be recovered, and our use of time can introduce either light or darkness. Paul's exhortation to the church in Ephesus is so true for us today. We should be a church longing to live as those who are wise, making the very best use of our time. This is a high calling, but a worthy calling. This month, request Dr. Neufeld's series, The Time of Your Life, on CD as our free gift to you. And to support Bible teaching with a financial gift, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit Back to the Bible. Dot C.A.